Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Last week we looked at the end of chapter 3, most of chapter 3, starting with verse 7 all the way to the end of the chapter. And Mark showed us six responses that we could have to Jesus Christ and His Word. And now he transitions to his first recorded parable by the disciple Mark. And in this parable, Jesus shows the different responses to the Word of God. The different responses based on the hearts of the people in whom the Word has been sown. And Jesus gives for us four responses. Now, we we're going to see here in verse 1 that Jesus is out on a boat. And you remember from last week that He had to be out in a boat because the crowds were pressing in on Him to, to such an extent that He couldn't even eat a meal. And He still wanted to be with the people. He didn't want to go out into complete isolation. He wanted to spend time with them, to preach to them. And so what He decided to do was to get out on a boat. And he gets on a boat and he teaches from there so that the people would not be pressing on him, uh, but rather that he'd be able to teach them and move along uh, the coast as he pleased. And Jesus is speaking here, we'll, we'll see, to a group of followers, including some Jewish religious leaders who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. That they did not believe that he was the Messiah. And then in verse 10, he transitions over to a place where he's talking to his disciples and some other close followers of his. So let's begin reading with Mark chapter 4 with verse 1. He, Jesus, began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seed fell on the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that, while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. 
In a similar way, the, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Today we're going to see that true believers consistently respond to the Word by accepting it and by bearing spiritual fruit. Jesus begins here, verses 1-3, through or Mark begins verses 1-3, through and shows us the importance of this parable. He first gives a call to listen. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, listen to this. Okay, So He begins His parable with listen to this, and then look at the end of the parable, verse 9. And he was saying, He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus was saying, listen, you need to pay attention here. This is very important. Not just you disciples, but everyone needs to hear this. This is an important truth that I'm trying to explain to you. And it was necessary because the meaning was not self-evident. And we know that the the meaning was not self-evident because the disciples were asking him about it. Look at verse uh, 10. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. They didn't understand what he was talking about. And so Jesus is saying, this is important. What I have to say to you is very important. So, verse 3, listen to this. And then verse 9, if you've heard this, then then, uh, pay attention to it and follow it. Now, what we need to understand in order to understand this passage is the purpose of the Word. What is the purpose of the Word? I want to begin here, which really comes at the end of the passage, and then we'll go back and talk about the hindrances to the Word accomplishing its purpose. First thing that we need to understand is verse 3, is who is the sower and what is he sowing? Okay, verse 3, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, and so on. And then look down to um, verse uh, verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. Jesus doesn't explain it. You see, the rest of the parable He explains. He says that the, the seed that was sown on the road or the, the, the side of the road, that was, uh, he'll, he'll explain what that is, but, but He doesn't say who the sower is. Look at verse 14. The sower sows the Word. He keeps it in the parabolic language. And all that is is language which He uses a story to, to express a point. He's trying to teach them something of meaning. We'll talk about that later when we get to verses 10 through 12. But the sower in other parables, Jesus was referred to the sower, the one who sows the word, who gives the word. But I think by extension, it is anyone who sows the seed. We'll see what what that means here in just a second. But the reality is is that that's not Jesus' point, and that's why he doesn't make a big deal about it. He doesn't say... And that's that's the thing that's, that's difficult for us because when we think about this parable, we often call it the parable of the what? 
Look at the heading of your Bible probably says the parable of the sower at the beginning of chapter 4. But it's really not about the sower. It's really about the soils. It's about the four different responses to the Word of God. And so what Jesus is talking about is sowing the seed. And we know that the sowing the seed is referring to receiving the Word because verse 15. Verse 15 says, These are the ones who are beside the Word the road where the word is sown and when they hear immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So sowing the seed is basically the equivalent of proclaiming the word. That there are four different types of soil. Someone proclaims the word to these people and there's four different responses. Alright, so what is the purpose? What is the purpose of sowing the seed? Of proclaiming the word? What is it trying to produce? First of all, we know that it's not trying to produce people who simply hear the Word. Okay, And you need to understand this point. This is very important. It, God is not trying to produce people who simply hear the Word. This is why I say that. Verse 15. Okay, You've already seen that these, th- these three wrong responses that we have to the Word, that someone can have to the Word, uh, they, they are obviously uh, led away by different hindrances but but notice what all three of these do. Verse 15. These are the ones who are beside the, war, the road where the word is sown, and when they hear. Okay? So these people, this first set of individuals who have a hardened heart, they hear the word. Okay? Look at verse 16. You'll see this in the next one as well. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And then look at verse 18, the third group of people. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but... And then he goes on. So in all three cases, they hear the word. So the sower, the person who's proclaiming the truth, is not trying to produce in people just simply that they would hear the word. That's not enough. In fact, Jesus likens someone to uh, likens someone who hears the word but does not respond to it, who does not act upon it, as what? As a foolish man who built his house on the what? On the sand. And when the rains came and the storms came and the floods lifted, what happened to that house that was built on the sand? It was crushed. And Jesus says, "There are people who will hear my word." And so it's not enough for the Word simply to be heard by you. Maybe you think that if you're here at church, then that is enough. That God will accept you just because you have heard His Word. But the Scriptures are clear that that is not enough. Those people who really bear spiritual fruit are those who respond to it. They they hear it and respond. In fact, in that parable where Jesus says... there. Uh, I will liken that person unto a man who built his house upon a rock. He says, those who hear and act upon my word are those who uh, have built a house upon a rock. Okay? When all those difficult times come, they, they remain standing. So it is not. The purpose of the seed being sown in your life is not so that you would just come and hear the word. It's not enough. The purpose, rather, is found in verse 20. 
And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Okay, the purpose of of the sowing of the seed, of the proclaiming of the word, is so that so that spiritual fruit would be born. Now what exactly is Jesus talking about? Because sometimes we think of this that well, if we're bearing fruit to the tune of thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, maybe he's talking about winning other people to Christ. That if we just evangelize, and if we prove that we're a Christian by winning other people to Christ, uh, then God will have to accept us. But I would suggest to you that that's not the meaning of the word. And it's also not really the source of life. Just as you would see a, a fruit on a fruit tree, you wouldn't say that that's the source of the life of the tree. Rather, the fruit is really the product of the life that comes from the tree. The fact that that tree is deeply rooted and that it has its source in, uh, in, in some, some water that gives it life. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, John says, We know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Okay, when we read or think about a verse like that, we think, Okay, if we keep my if we keep God's commandments, then then we are we are saved. Then God has has done a work in us. But does that mean that we are the ones that did the work in ourselves? That we worked our way to a place where God had to accept us? The scriptures are very clear that that we are uh, the spiritual fruit that comes as a result of the life that we have in God is not the source of our life. Okay? It would be similar to uh, us taking our pulse and saying, because I have a pulse, I, uh, I have life. That's exactly what First John is saying. It's just an evidence. An evidence of life. And that's what we go to in order to determine whether or not we're a believer. So what exactly does it mean? Because certainly, this fruit can be manufactured. People can try to uh, make artificial fruit and put it attached to the tree. But what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul there says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, and against such, such things there is no law. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It is the evidence that the Spirit is working in our lives. In fact, this is what Jesus called us to do. John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says, I appointed you to bear fruit, to produce fruit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. and verses, Well, verses 1 through 9, God talks about how He saved us. And then verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. God produced a work in us so that we would produce works back uh, that would be in service to Him. So what the Word is doing in you, if you are a believer, is it is producing spiritual fruit. Now what we'll find in this passage is that there are three primary hindrances to the fruit, or to the, the, uh, the soil producing fruit. There are three hindrances to the Word accomplishing its purposes. Okay, the first one is found in verses 14 and 15. And that is Satan. Hey, this is the 
seed that was sown along the side of the road. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. This type of soil is a hardened soil. In those days, a farmer would have a leather bag that he would carry uh, along his side, uh, probably have a strap over his shoulder, and he would carry it and he would uh, pull from their seed to spread. And they do it all by hand, of course. And perhaps at this time, while Jesus was teaching out on the boat, he could see a farmer spreading seed out on his field. And he would spread it along these four different types of soil. This first type of soil is a hardened soil. It was packed down because it was along the side of the road where people would walk or where animals would walk. And so even though the farmer was trying to keep it inside the good soil, occasionally some seed would spread and land on the hardened soil. But the Scriptures tell us that as a result of, in verses uh, 3 and 4, the bird comes and takes away the seed, so it never gets an opportunity to go down and dig its roots, find its source of life. It is picked up by the birds and taken away. And Jesus is saying to His disciples in private, This is exactly what Satan does to the Word. When it falls on a hardened soil of someone's heart, when it falls on a hardened heart, this would be what I would call an indifferent heart. One that has been so um, rejecting of God's truth and His Word that when the Word really does come to a person like that, they reject it completely. I think of... Pharaoh in the Old Testament when Moses was sent to this man and he said, let my people go. What did Pharaoh do? I'm not going to let your people go. They're my slaves. Okay, I'm the king over them. I will not let them go. And so what happens? God sends plague number one. And then Pharaoh said, okay, I'll do it. But did he really have a changed heart? Has he really responded rightly to God's word? through Moses? No. He simply just wants to stop the uh, adversity that's coming. And so as a result, he says, I changed my mind. I'm not going to let them go now. And so plague number two, three, all the way till number ten, and finally God says, you're going to let them go. And he causes Pharaoh to let them go. In fact, Scriptures tell us that Israel, uh, that Egypt was even favorably disposed to Israel at that point where they gave up their own goods. So Israel took of their spoils as they left, and then they, you remember the rest of the story, that they got to the Red Sea, crossed it, and the Egyptian army comes in after them, and the waters crash back down upon them. But Pharaoh had a hardened heart, didn't he? In fact, the Scriptures talk about that, that that he had hardened his heart to the things of God. That the truth that, that came to him, he was hardened to it. And so we could say that, that he, he is a result of what Satan has done in many people's lives, including in our day. He has hardened their heart to a point where they do not respond to God's Word at all. There's no even desire to. They are completely indifferent to the truth of God. And so Satan takes away the Word and he does not allow it to, to take root. The first hindrance to the Word accomplishing its purpose is Satan. The second one is found in verse 16, and that is suffering. 
verses 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. The rocky soil that Jesus talks about in verses 5 and 6 is really just beds of solid rock that were lying below uh, the surface of the good soil. So you had a, a small section of good soil, but below that was a rocky soil. And so what would happen is when you planted the, the seed in this type of ground, it, it seems to show some signs of life. And Jesus says that something sprouts up. But what happens is that when the sun comes out, when the tough times come, the, the plant dies and shows that it really did not have a firm root in the ground. It really did not have a deep root system because the soil that it was in was too shallow for the roots to, to reach down and, and uh, get some, some water which it needed to develop this uh, strength and the root system that it needed. And so this type of soil that Jesus is talking about is, is an opportunistic heart. It is a, an initial response to the Word. It is... If we were to see a person like this, they would make a profession of faith in the gospel. They would say, yes, I believe that what God has said is true and I have accepted it for myself. But then what does the Scripture say happens to that type of person? Look at verse 17. The end of verse 16 says, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy and they have no firm root in themselves but are only temporary. Then what happens? Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately they fall away. They show that they really did not have the root system that was needed to be a believer. This is persecution that Jesus talks about specifically because of the Word. Now, unbelievers, people who do not accept God's truth, they have persecution. In fact, many people suffer because of their evil. Other people suffer because of affliction that comes through disease or some other type of thing. But Jesus isn't talking about those types of persecution. He's talking about persecution, notice verse 17, that arises because of the Word. They received the Word, and yet they hadn't counted the cost. What is it going to cost me if I follow Christ? And as a result, people rise up around them and say, You fool." Why would you follow that guy? I mean, that is a total hoax. That's not true. And because they really didn't have the root system that was needed, because they really didn't receive the Word, because of their indifferent, their opportunistic heart, they fell away. That's what the end of verse 17 says. Immediately, they fell away. They showed that they, were never, they never really had accepted the truth. And so when suffering comes in our lives, how do we respond to it? Those who have, been, have, been, uh, have received the Word, those who have the good soil, will respond rightly to the Word. They will respond rightly when persecution comes, when tough times come, when people persecute them 
as a result of their stand with Christ, they will they will continue to stand. First John chapter two verse nineteen says that they went out from us, but they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they're not of us. John recognized this. That there are people who rise up and say, Yes, I'm a Christian. I've accepted Jesus Christ. They can say all the right terms, but when persecution comes as a result of the word, what does Jesus say that they do? They fall away. They prove that they really were not one of his disciples. And then the third hindrance to the word accomplishing its purpose number one, Satan. Number two, suffering. And number three, stuff. Verse 18. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This type of soil is a thorny soil that we saw in verse 7. Now this is not like you would think where uh, the, the sower would go along into a thorn patch and just throw seed all into a thorn patch. That's not the idea here. Rather, it's probably a thorn patch that had been burned up and so at, at the base level, it looks like good soil. But underneath is the roots of thorns, of thorny type uh, thistle-bearing weeds. And so what happens is when the Word is sown, then when the Word is proclaimed to that person, that person rises up, receives it with joy, they accept it, but then what grows alongside of that plant? What grows alongside of it? The thorny, the thistly weeds. And what happens is is these weeds, these, these thorns, they take up all the space, the light, and the water that is necessary for the plant to receive life, to maintain life. And so what Jesus is saying is that these type of people, yes, they receive the Word, they seemingly receive the Word, they seemingly respond to it, but they really have a divided heart. They... Love God, yeah, they, they want to follow God, yeah, but they also want to follow after, notice the things in verse 19, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. The reason for not bearing fruit, Jesus gives three of them, that they had some worries of the world, that they had... They, they had this desire for riches. They believed that riches would give them something. And then they had simply a desire for other things. The, the idea here is that, God, I love you. I love your truth. I'm responding to your word. But I'd also like to see what the world has to offer. And so I'm just going to... I'll serve you on Sundays and I'll, I'll go to church and I'll listen to the... and I'll read the Bible every once in a while. But, but I also like these things over here. I really would like to have some more riches. I really would like to be satisfied in that way. And as a result, what happens is that God doesn't take over in this situation and somehow flourish. Rather, these things, Jesus says, come in and choke out the word that has been sown in that person. That person has a divided heart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, You cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the others. You cannot serve both, and he gives them to us, 
God and money. You can't do it. What will happen is what Jesus said. The money will come in and it will choke you out spiritually. It will not allow you to have spiritual life. You remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. This was a man who rose up and became really a follower of Paul and of Christ. And yet because of the deceitfulness of the world, he fell away. He deserted Paul and all the things of God. The rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, verse 22. He says, I've done all these commandments since birth, Jesus. What do I need? What do I need? And Jesus said, I'll tell you what you need. You, you lack one thing. Sell all your possessions and distribute them to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But verse 23 says, But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, he had been, his desire for spiritual things had been choked out by what? His desire for riches. He would not set those aside in order to follow Christ. He loved them too much. So if the, the proper response to receiving the Word is that God produces fruit in us, how is it that we do that? Well, let's look back to verse 14 because we'll see that first of all, the Word has to be, it first, first of all, has to be planted. Verse 14, the sower sows the Word. That is, the proclaimer of the message has to, to, to proclaim the Word. That's the first thing that has to happen. Then, the Word has to take root. Now, it can't simply be some shallow root system like in the rocky soil. It cannot be a root system that is, is uh, growing up alongside of thorny uh, weeds. Rather, it must be a a root system that is able to go down and and uh, dig in and find its source of life in the water below. Genuine bearing of fruit takes time. It's difficult to tell whether a person receives the gospel or not unless we've had some time, because genuine change, genuine spiritual change, takes place over time. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, when God saves us, certainly He does an immediate change in us where He turns us from the slave of, from being a slave of sin to being a slave of God or a slave of righteousness, a servant of God. But as far as the transformation that's happening where God is making us into the image of Christ more and more and like our Savior Jesus Christ, that happens over time. Just as fruit takes time for it to, to show and to bear fruit. We can't simply look at a person and go, yes, I know whether they're a Christian or not. We have to be able to see fruit. Same thing is true in our lives. The fruit is not the source of our life. Rather, it is the evidence that we have life. We have to be connected to Christ. That's the source of our life. We, we read about in John chapter 15. In fact, let's turn there quickly. John chapter 15. And 
Jesus calls Himself the true vine here. And if we're going to, sh- if we're going to bear fruit, then we have to be attached to the vine. Not artificially, not a man- in a manufactured way. Rather, we need to be genuinely attached to the vine. And I'll tell you how that happens after we read this passage. Chapter 15 of John, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way that we can bear spiritual fruit is if we're attached to the vine. If we're attached to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says there in verse 5, apart from Him, we can do nothing. There are many hindrances to your reception of the Word. Your own sin. The suffering that comes as a result of the Word. Satan. Things in this world. They'll all come and try to do damage on you, but... But if you've received the Word genuinely, if you've responded to it rightly, then those things cannot hinder you. And if you want to be a part of that good soil, if you want your heart to be changed in that way, then God offers forgiveness of sins to all who repent and believe. That's what the Scriptures tell us. That yes, God is the one who is the source of life, but... The, the Scriptures say that we must come to Him, that we, we must repent and believe. And that simply means that we need to acknowledge our sin and turn from it and turn to Christ as the only source of life. Now, turn back to Mark chapter 4. And I want to make an exhortation to believers before we uh, close here. Mark chapter 4, verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Now those three verbs there, they hear the word, they accept it and bear fruit, those three verbs are all in the, in the Greek language. They are imperfect verbs. So it could be translated like this. And they were hearing the Word. And they were accepting the Word. And they were bearing fruit. The idea here is that it's an ongoing, continual response of a person who has been saved by God. That it's not just a simply once and done type thing. We hear the Word and yes, I accept it. That's good. Thank you for taking care of that for me, God. No, it is, it is a constantly turning to God. A continual bearing of fruit. A continual hearing and and responding to it. And what you'll find is that those who receive truth and act upon it will receive more truth. But those who reject it will ultimately lose what they have. And the principle is seen in exercise. If you fail to exercise a muscle, you will one day lose its use, use. You will lose its use completely. And God confronts us in the same way. That if we 
failed to respond to the Word. We've had these opportunities over and over again and we continue on in sin, we will lose the truth that we once had. And that's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifices for sin is left. We repeatedly hear God's word and refuse to respond to it time after time, there will come a time when our heart has become so hardened that not only will we not respond, but we cannot respond because our heart has rejected it for so long. It's not that we've we've lost uh, our salvation. That's not what Hebrews is saying. Rather, it's, it's that we prove that we never had it. And so my challenge to you, based on the authority of Scriptures, is to set yourself always to respond to God's Word every time you hear it. Whether it's read to you, whether you're reading it for yourself, whether you're hearing it, set yourself up to always respond to it because true believers are responding to God's Word. They don't simply just hear it. We must respond to the truth. And if you don't know how to do that, if you, maybe you've never understood how it is that you can come to be a part of this good soil where God can go in there and do a work, uh, uh, take this ground and, and change it up so that you have a good heart, then, then uh, I would encourage you to speak to someone who goes to this church regularly and ask them. And they'd be happy to tell you There's no magical formula that you have to follow. There's no magical words that you have to say. God says, if you want forgiveness of sins, all you have to do is repent and believe. Turn from your sins and believe what He said is true. Will you respond to the Word as God has given it to you? Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that our hearts were once cold and indifferent toward You. And as Romans 8 says, we were hostile toward You. We were Your enemy. We hated You and we loved our sin. And yet Jesus Christ appeared and offered for us salvation and commanded us to turn to Him in repentance and faith. And by the work of Your mercy and Your love, You saved us. Lord, what a great testimony of Your grace we see in Your Word and in our lives. Lord, there may be some here who do not know You, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who have not accepted Him. I pray that You would work in their hearts and show them their need to turn to You, to turn to the cross and recognize that all of their sin cannot be satisfied by doing more things for You. It can only be satisfied when it's placed upon Jesus Christ at the cross. When He takes it upon Himself. And so I pray that You would work in hearts today and even those of us who have been saved for a long period of time, we pray that You'd help us to be committed to responding to Your truth every time we hear it. To not only take joy when we hear it, 
but to respond to it. As James says, not to be a doer, uh, a hearer only, but a doer of the word. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you in everything that we do. So we pray that we would not become hardened or cold or indifferent to what you have for us. So I pray that you would uh, work in our hearts to respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.